Oh, good morning. We are in a series. We normally take a topic and talk about it for several weeks. This series is called Different, and today's specific title is A Different Calling. So I want to start with a question. How many of you would be excited if you realized that God was calling you to do something specifically? Would you want to know what it is first? Hopefully you would, right? And then would you be excited about it? Would you feel um, empowered? Would you feel that you had this word call or calling? So God is telling you to do something. God would guarantee you his support, right? That he'd be behind you. One of the themes in the book of First Peter, which we're looking at, Peter the apostle, the disciple, wrote some letters. We call this one First Peter. And he's addressing the church during the time of great persecution. And one of the themes of the book is this word call or calling. So that's why we want to look at that this morning. So there's different kinds of calling, and I want to point out three specific ones I find in Scripture. Uh, what am I called to do? What are you and I called to do? Well, first, we have an eternal calling. We have a call to follow Jesus. Um, Jesus came to earth. He, he sacrificed his life so that you and I could have a relationship with God. And God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everybody to accept that gift. And so he invites everyone. And then if you accept that gift, you enter the family, you're saved, whatever terminology you like, and your sins are forgiven, and you have a relationship with God, which is going to last for eternity, right? Here on earth, and then it's going off into eternity. So God is calling everyone to this calling. Not everybody has received this calling. Every calling is uh, optional, right? We all can reject it. And so there's a call to eternally follow Jesus. Then there's something I'm going to call a temporary call uh, to an assignment, a job, a responsibility. It could be for a day. It could be for a week. It could be for a year or two. I thought of people that, that, that feel called into professions, like teachers. Most teachers I know feel called into teaching. Otherwise, they wouldn't teach, right? Because it's a, a tough job. But you might teach at one school for a while, feel called to that school, and then eventually feel called to another school or to another grade to or another subject to teach. Uh, nurses, you're called to a different uh, responsibility in a doctor's office and maybe into an emergency room or a hospital assignment. Um, Whatever profession that you're in, I pray that you felt called into it, that this is where God wants you to be. Uh, it happened to me. We use this term a lot when it talks about church people, like pastors and stuff. Well, I felt called into the ministry to be a pastor when I was, was 17. I said no for a while, but I, I gave in pretty, pretty quickly. Um, but I, I'm still a pastor. One day I won't be, I guess. But... Uh, it was temp I was at one church for a while, and then I was overseas for a while, and then I've been at this church a long while, but still, everything's temporary, right? So it could be a mission trip, you know, feel called to go on a mission trip for a week, or maybe for a weekend, um, called to volunteer, work with children, whatever it might be. All these calls are temporary. There's going to be an end, if, if not on this earth, in eternity, right? But the one call that I want to talk to you about most this morning is one I think we neglect the most, and that's what's called a daily call to be different or to a different standard, right? 
So we've been talking about this a couple weeks now. <laughs> but if you call yourself a Jesus follower, if not, we're glad that you're watching or glad that you're here. But once you step across that line and call yourself a Jesus follower, you and I are supposed to be different. The question is, how different? And I've been saying each week, not we are different, okay? Um, oh, they're just weird. No, no. God calls us to be different, but in a, I'm going to call it to a whole another standard, a whole higher standard of different. So, what am I called to do? What are you called to do? Now, the interesting, interesting thing about Peter, he's going to say, okay, let's back up a little bit. There's something more important than the call. It's the who, who you are, all right? So, you know, you can't be a nurse without going to nursing school, right? Uh, I couldn't be a pastor without some training. You, most professions, you can't. So God's going to start with the who before he's going to start with the do. If you don't get the who right, you can't get the do right. If you haven't been to nursing school, school I'm, I don't want you being my nurse, right? You don't want that person to be your nurse. So the who comes before the do. And uh, the positive way to say it's this way. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. When you know that you're a got a gift of teaching, then you know to teach. If you get the nursing, you know how to, you're going to nurse. If you have the gift of pastoring, then you, you're a pastor. You don't want to do what you're not, quote, unquote, called to do. Now, back in Peter's day, he's writing during this, this severe persecution under Nero. And uh, a general big misunderstanding of what Christians are, who they are, what they believed in. And um, we're tempted to forget misunderstandings they dealt with, and we're tempted to forget the misunderstandings that we have to, have to deal with. So I wanted to address that first. And the ones they dealt with seem almost weird to us today. But here are three big misunderstandings of people that weren't Jesus followers of Jesus followers. The first one, was they, they thought of them being superstitious. Why? Well, they did, had miracles, right? And so they attributed miracles to magicians. And Jesus was the chief of the head magician. And so they thought that uh, Christians were superstitious. Incestuous. Uh, they called everybody brothers and sisters, yet, of course, they were married. And they had things called love feasts. That sounds like it's a little uh, incestuous, doesn't it? And then this third one's really weird, of course, cannibals. Because Jesus talked about partaking with my eating my flesh and drinking my blood. That sounds like cannibals, right? So they had these misconceptions. And of course, as a Jesus follower, you have to deal with the misconceptions of those around you. So what are some of them about us today? Well, the first one I thought of was self-righteous. People that aren't Jesus followers think we think we're better than them. Now, we don't think we're better than them. But maybe we come across that way if we're not careful. Uh, we're no better than anybody else. But by the grace of God, you know, uh, we're not any better than anybody else. The flip side of that is then, consequently, we can be judgmental. Um, I'm going to talk about, you know, it's more important to be known for what we do, not for what we're against. So, you know, we're against that, we're against that, we're judging this person because they don't live or some standard that we have set up. And, of course, a general term would be bigots. Uh, people consider us bigots. So, 
Consequently, when I'm dealing with an unchurched person, somebody's not a Jesus follower, I have to take and remember these are some impressions they have of me. So it consequently <laughs> affects how you interact with people, right? Because we have to deal with the misunderstanding. All right, so Peter's going to tell us what we're called to do, I mean, before we're called to do, uh, who we actually are. Right? So who are we as Jesus followers? Because that'll influence what we do. So we're going to pick this up in chapter 2 and verse 9. In the previous part, he's talking about people that rejected Jesus, especially Jewish people. He's your Jewish Messiah and you're rejecting him. And so then he starts in verse 9, he says, but you are not like that. You have not rejected Jesus. So, consequently, if you haven't rejected Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, who are you? Well, first he says, you are a chosen people. Now, God wants to choose everybody. His invitation goes out to everybody, but only certain people accept it, right? So, whoever accepts it as chosen, we might, I thought about it this way. Scripture talks about adoption. You and I are adopted. I don't know if anybody here has adopted or adopted someone. But my understanding is you can go, probably nowadays online, but you go to adoption agency and you, you are shown multiple people or you go to a, a place and meet multiple kids and you get to choose one, right? This works just the opposite way, right? God wants to choose all of us, but we get to choose Him. So you're... You get all these parents come by and say, you're the child and you get to pick which parents you want. So we are part of God's family. He's chosen us, but we've chosen him. Does that make sense? So that's pretty cool, right? I mean, God's family. You are royal priests. Now, most people consider priests people like me in certain churches or dominations, right? People stand up front. But did you know you're a priest? Now, what are some responsibilities of priests? This will make sense when you think about it. Well, in some church traditions, you go to the priest and the priests go to God for you. Now, in our church tradition, we don't believe that, right? You get to go to God by yourself. You don't need me or some quote-unquote priest to do that, right? You have direct access to God. On the flip side, priests do what? They serve God and serve people. So you and I, as Jesus followers, have the privilege of serving people and God just as priests do. So that's a pretty cool to be called a priest, right? So we're chosen and we're priests. Then he says you're a holy nation. Now this is cool too because you're not in this alone. Uh, Christianity is not a spectator sport and it's not a, a lone ranger sport. It's a joint effort, if you want to call it that. So we're not by ourselves, we're part of a nation or a kingdom. God likes to use the word kingdom. So we're all citizens of this kingdom, God's kingdom. And then he uses the term, God's very own possession. Now you might not like that term, right? Uh, do you want the concept of being possessed? Uh, we're going to talk about you were bought by a price. So somebody bought you, but not in a negative way, right? He bought you so you could have, be in relationship. Um, the positive side of being possessed, if you want to use that word, is that you're taken care of. 
I had some issues with my car this week. I took it to the mechanic and got it fixed. I took care of it. Did I take your car to the dealership or mechanic? I'm not taking your car. I don't own that car. I don't possess it, so I don't take care of it. So as God owns me or possesses me, He takes care of me. So, we're chosen, we're priests, we're a part of a holy nation, we're possessed. God takes care of us. So as a result of all that, you can show others the goodness of God. So what's your responsibility? What's your calling as a Jesus follower? <laughs> to show others the goodness of God. Why? Because we've experienced it, right? He describes it this way, called out of darkness into the wonderful light. The people that don't know Jesus are in darkness. So if you've never experienced light, you don't know what it's like, right? If you've never experienced relationship with God, you don't know what it's like. Only those of us who have know, and our part of responsibility is to let other people know, share with them. And I love the term goodness of God. God is good, right? He teaches children that. <clears throat> Text goes on. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people, one of the things I notice about people that aren't Jesus followers, the most of them are kind of uh, wandering. They're wondering why they're here, what they're supposed to be doing. What, you know, They don't have a, a sense of purpose in life. And they're just flying by the seat of the pants. Most people, unfortunately. But as Jesus followers, we have purpose. We have an identity. Now you're God's people. Once you receive no mercy, now you receive God's mercy. So he went from merciless to being full of mercy. God's mercy. Now, where does worth come from or identity come from? Well, I always told my kids, something's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. They say, oh, Dad, I'll buy this and I can sell it for this. I said, maybe, maybe not. Depends if a person is willing to pay that for it. So the question of about you and I, is what was paid for us. And God sacrificed His only Son for us. We have inestimable, is that a word? Inestimable value. What, what value do you put on, on Jesus' life? That's what was paid for you and I. So we have a, this, this tremendous value and this, this identity, this purpose. So then he goes on, he says, Dear friends, I warn you. What's he going to warn us about? As temporary residents and or foreigners or exiles, whatever term you want to use, remember we're talking about this is not our home, we're just kind of hanging out here for a while, we're passing through. He says, keep away from worldly desires that wage a war against your very souls. So there's a conflict between um, this world of the Christian, if you will, this kingdom of God, and this world without God. Right? And he says, avoid the one without God, and be loyal. I'm going to use the word loyal. I thought about it this way. Uh, as Americans, what country are citizens of the United States? What country are you loyal to? Are you loyal to Canada? Are you loyal to Mexico? What country are you loyal to? You're loyal to the country you have citizenship in, right? And so we are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's where our loyalty lies. 
So, consequently, he goes on. Be careful to live, excuse me, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Okay? So, this higher standard. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, So you and I have lived at such a standard that even though they accuse us of doing wrong, even if we haven't done it, they will see your honorable behavior and give honor to, not to us, but to God when He judges the world. So when people falsely accuse you, what do you do? How do you react? What did Jesus do? We'll look at that in a few minutes. Do you argue with them? Do you get defensive? You don't need to. Amazing thing, when you remember when Jesus was on trial, he didn't even answer sometimes. I've heard it said you don't need to defend the Bible. The Bible can do a good enough job of defending itself. But you and I need to earn credibility by these honorable lives we live. I like to think about it this way. They may think we're crazy with some of the stuff we believe. But as one pastor said, I would love my son or daughter to marry one of them because of their high character and their high, high, high um, morality. Scripture even says we're supposed to be above reproach. Not perfect, above reproach. So, what's Peter selling us? Well, we're going to show them what we believe by how we behave. It's interesting. People can tell you anything, right? Do you just believe people because they tell you something? I don't. So if they tell me something about themselves personally, I'm going to watch their lives. You know, something silly like, uh, I'm a great uh, basketball player. Well, I mean, let's see you play basketball. <laughs> I'll judge for myself you're a great basketball player. Well, what about more important things? I'm a great husband. I don't think most of us that are husbands would say we're great husbands, but uh, maybe our wives would say that about us. Maybe they would. And say, oh, my, my, I, have a, I have a great husband. Well, that person's going to say, okay, I'll, let me see this guy, see if he's a great husband or Father's Day, or he's a great, great dad. Well, let me, let me, I want proof this person's a great dad. Well, people want proof that you and I are who we claim to be, Jesus followers. Again, don't get defensive. Let me ask you a question. Do you think I ever get criticized? Do you think our church ever gets criticized? We just got some good, good publicity, if you will. But yeah, we get criticized. So how do you respond? You get defensive? Argue back? No, no, no. I like to think about it this way. Some of you are a sports fan, especially football. You've heard the expression that best offense is a good defense. And I thought about Super Bowl winners and I'm a Ravens fan, and their first Raven uh, Super Bowl, they had the best defense in the league. So the offense didn't need to be very good. They still won the, won the Super Bowl. But I got to think about last year. The team that won the Super Bowl last year, did they have the best defense in the league? No, they had one of the best offenses in the league, didn't they? So in Christianity, I think the best defense for us, not be defensive, is to have a good offense, to live lives uh, at a whole nother level. Uh, we have extreme generosity. We have kindness. Uh, we love. 
We do those kind of things. <clears throat> Sometimes Christians are known for what they're against. I'm against this, I'm against that. We need to be known for what we're for. And not only what we're for, but who we're for. Right? We're for Jesus. Text goes on. It is God's will that you live. Oh, I skipped a couple of verses. We talked about this a while back. These are verses where uh, Peter is telling the people, obey the, the authorities of the land. Again, who are the authorities? The Romans and Nero. He's saying, as far as possible, obey. And so we struggled with this back in COVID, right? They told us not to have joint worship services for 10 weeks. And this church, we did that. Some churches decided they they weren't going to do that. Because sometimes the line before where you obey the authorities, uh, you can't. And people are persecuted, persecuted all over the world because they can't obey the authorities. It might be, you got to be a Muslim. Well, I can't be a Muslim, or what, whatever it might be. So, I skipped those two verses for you today. But anyway, verse 15, it is God's will or God's calling that you live honorable lives. There's that word again. These lives should silence the ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. So, these accusations are foolish. They're ignorant. They don't understand. That's okay. Live honorable lives that if they're going to say something bad about us, they have to make it up. Our lifestyles should be, again, above reproach. So I want to ask you the question. Here's the instructions. What is your strategy for dealing with unchurched people? What is your strategy? Is it to tell them, now you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing that? Jesus hung out with the worst of sinners. I'm, I'm wondering how he did, did that. He said, you're a terrible cheater, tax collector, or a prostitute. He, he couldn't have. He wouldn't have been able to hang out with us. So we were supposed to have uh, love that people are unloving. We are to give to people that don't deserve it, maybe. We are to serve pretty much everybody, right? So again, He's going to use the word call. What are we called to do? For God called you to do, here's a simple word, right? Do good. Not bad. Do good. Notice the next phrase, though. Excuse me. Even if it means suffering. So, can you do good and suffer for it? That ever happened? I think it happened to um, Jesus one time. <laughs> Who did good, more good than he did? And they nailed him to a cross. So our calling is to do good. It's not a promise that we won't suffer. In fact, it may mean we suffer for doing good. In fact, he says, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example. And you must follow in his steps. So again, I don't think Jesus was accusative. Uh, a woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you, but hey, be smart. Go and sin no more. Stop doing this. It's not good for you and, and other people. So if Jesus is our example, 
who is this Jesus that we're supposed to follow? Well, Peter's going to tell us. In, this, in fact, he, he's going to uh, quote Scripture. Now, what was Peter's Scripture? He's writing the New Testament, so it's not the New Testament. It's the Old Testament, right? He was Jewish, and so his Bible is the Old Testament. And so he's going to quote Isaiah 53. It's called the Suffering Servant Passage. Isaiah wrote this five or six hundred years before Jesus, and it's such amazing how accurate it is. And Peter's quoting it. So he's referring to Jesus the Messiah. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. So our goal is to never sin and never deceive anyone. He's our example, right? He did not retaliate when he was insulted. That's a tough one, right? When somebody insults you. Nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. I'm thinking, okay, God let you die on a cross. How is that just? Well, he said last week, from the foundation of the world... God had this plan, okay, I'm going to create mankind, and they're going to sin and be separated from me, and I've got to have a solution. And my solution, the only solution I can come up with is to sacrifice my son for all mankind. As a consequence, you and I do not have to suffer for the penalty of our sin. How amazing is that? It tells us that in the next verse. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross willingly offered himself on it as an altar of sacrifice. So Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. I mean, he had the power not to. There's a psalm that says he could have called 10,000 angels down. He didn't have to. He, the Romans didn't kill Jesus. Jesus sacrificed his life. He let them execute it. So that we might die to sin. What does that mean? Well, become immune from the penalty, we don't have to pay the penalty, and also the power of sin. You know, as a Jesus follower, you and I don't have to sin. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. That it promises we have the ability or the power to not sin. A person who's not a Jesus follower doesn't have that access. All they have is their own willpower. But we have Holy Spirit power. And live for righteousness, for by His wounds, you who believe, not everybody, but you who believe, have been healed, or our relationship with God restored. Now, do people that aren't Jesus followers do good? Sure they do. There's a lot of philanthropists out there. But it's a, little, a different level, right? Most of those people do good to good causes or good people, or they consider good, right? They wouldn't do good to their enemies, right? What are we called to? We're called to love our enemies. So normals be nice to nice people and not so nice to not nice people. Our calling is higher. We're supposed to love everyone, forgive everyone, etc., etc. In fact, the text goes on and say it this way: Don't repay evil for evil. Well, that's that's what we want to do, right? Somebody mistreats me, I want to treat them. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. That, that's so hard. Instead, do what? So if somebody's insulting you, what do you do? Pay them back with a blessing. Bless you, my 
brother or sister for insulting me. Seems bizarre, doesn't it? But what happens when you and I do that? That is what God has called you to do. All right, so there's a question about it's our responsibility. And he will grant you his blessing. So I bless this person, God's going to bless me. I get what I give. Besides, two wrongs don't make a right. Somebody insults you. And that higher standard is, you know, the Roman law was you got to carry the soldiers pack a mile. And Jesus said, don't just carry it a mile, carry it two miles. Um, somebody asks for your shirt, don't just give them your shirt, give them your coat also. Somebody slaps you on your cheek, what are you supposed to do? Offer him the other cheek. It's a whole another level. So when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. We are chosen. We are priests. We are part of God's kingdom. I want to end with this. Maybe you're in a job or have been in a job where you're on call. I'm basically on call 24-7. Some emergency comes up in your life. You're supposed to call me. I got thinking in first service, I don't keep my phone with me at night. My wife's phone sits by the bed. So if you need us between 10 and 6 in the morning, you better call my wife's phone and not mine. Uh, but lots of people are on call. Right? Doctors are on call. Our neighbor who works for a gas company, he's on call different weekends. If there's some person has a gas emergency. So this is our assignment, is our responsibility. You and I are on call 24-7 as Jesus follows. What hinders that sometimes is the devil whispers to us, ah, God can't use you. Oh, you're just a screw-up. Or maybe you just screwed up because we do that, right? No, 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 I'm not a screw-up. Well, maybe we are, but I'm chosen. I'm a priest. I'm part of God's family. I'm part of God's kingdom. So, I don't know about you, but we're supposed to report saying, Jesus, what's next? What do you want me to do? 24-7. Talked about last week, obedient children. My kids were at home, and they were out playing in the yard, and I called them in for dinner. They either came or they didn't, right? If they came, they got dinner. If they didn't, they got disciplined because they didn't obey. So you and I are on call. And I pray you and I obey. Let me pray with you. What an amazing call we have, God. <laughs> A part of your family, we were called to to represent you, to be examples, to live at a higher standard, to, to our lives are to reflect you. And people may think we're strange, um, but they can't question our integrity. They can't question our lifestyle. They can't question our values. And of course, the initial call is to God's family, to come to a place where you Acknowledge that you're separated from God by your sin, and we all sin. God can't look on that sin. And the only solution is to receive Jesus' 
offer of forgiveness through his shed blood. Once you do that, you're entered into relationship with God and into his family. and Your sins are forgiven. And you're promised eternity. So I pray for anyone who might be here or anybody who watches or listening, that today would be the day that you step across that line. That's all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I accept your gift. You'll need help, so please let us know about any decision you might make. God, most of us are, are Jesus followers. Some of us do it better than others. <laughs> Sometimes we do it better than others. Forgive us for our failings. I pray that we will strive to live up to this higher standard. That people may not like what we believe, but they like how we live, how we love, how we serve. Thank you for this, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.